Hello, faithful listener. My name is Aaron, and I'm the audio engineer for the Mestizo podcast. Given the circumstances here in the U.S., we thought it best to pause, to lament, and to join brothers and sisters protesting the murder of George Floyd. While we certainly do not want to detract from the much-needed attention on police brutality and racial inequality, we decided it is time to continue our normal posting schedule. Since this episode was recorded in early March, it does not directly confront the issue at hand, but we added links in the show notes for information on how you can get involved. Some of our other World Outspoken content deals more directly with race in America. You may want to check out our Hidden Histories collection to learn more. We stand in solidarity with our black brothers and sisters, and, as is consistent with the biblical voice, we'll always strive for the vindication of the oppressed. We appreciate you joining with us in that journey. Thanks for listening. For now, let's continue on with our conversation today. Bienvenidos al Mestizo Podcast, the show for the mixed people of the mixed church. On this podcast, we explore the complicated challenges of being part of, serving in, and growing an ethnic church in el siglo XXI. As first-generation immigrants age out of their leadership and the Mestizo Church transitions to the second and third generation, how does the ethnic church continue to thrive? What should an ethnic church look like today? These questions and more what we explore together with your hosts, Emmanuel Padilla and la Dra. Elizabeth Conde Frazier. Your hosts are Puerto Rican, so you're going to hear some Spanglish de vez en cuando here on the Mestizo Podcast. It's part of who we are. In today's episode, we discuss the theology attached to mestizaje. We're going to quote from important books and literature and discuss the history related to the term and how it presents a way forward as we deal with the many issues of race, justice, and the new world created in the kingdom of God. Elizabeth, welcome back. Always good to be with you, Emmanuel. We've had some good episodes, though. It's been it's been some wild discussion that we've had already with some of our guests. I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot especially um, new layers of what it means to be uh, humble, really. Yeah, uh, no, I agree with that. Speaking of humble, I hear that you were, you were uh, babysitting uh, a humble prodigy, a musician-to-be. <laughs> yes, I have a seven-month-old uh, grandchild who lives uh, very close to me. And so we have music time with him. And that means that we introduce him to a whole lot of different um, instruments to see what he's into and to teach him rhythm and passion and stuff like that. And we dance with him and it's very embodied. Man, what, uh, what instrument is he taking to most? The percussion, because <clears throat> at that age, you know, that's what makes the most sense. Right. Well, he likes to bang on things and tap. Yeah, they, and, can't, yeah. they can't understand the, the concept of blowing into, you know, an instrument and stuff. Sure. That makes sense. I got a really embarrassing story. I thought that I would be naturally gifted at being a drummer. And so I tried out for my uh, marching band in school when I was a kid. And I tried to be a snare drummer. And uh, during the practice to see whether or not you could or couldn't be a snare drummer, they wanted you to do a basic roll, you know, that. And uh, I went to do it. And the instructor looked at me and she said, I think you should try being a trumpet player. And I thought, <laughs> what is this? How are you going to tell me that a Puerto Rican can't be a drummer naturally? It was very mortifying. And I still to this day wish that I could uh, play snare drum or timbales or some kind of percussion. But apparently it's not in me. <laughs> well, that goes against the stereotypes, right? 
It goes against the stereotypes. Though I did end up being a trumpet player for a while. And, you know, salsa's big on trumpet. I never played salsa for, or trumpet for a salsa band. But, you know, that at least I, I stayed close. I stayed adjacent. There you are. There you are. <laughs> you sure did. Uh, trumpet close. is a, an important voice in that kind of music. It's an important voice. Did you play any instruments growing up? I um, did a lot of singing and uh, choir directing. Okay. All right. And uh, so I could hear, um, I don't want to say I could hear voices, but I could hear the um, different harmonies in my head sure. and how they fit together and, you know, stuff like that. So I do a lot of that. That's awesome. I didn't know that. I just got a chat from Aaron. He played trumpet too, our our sound engineer. So we got some trumpeteers here. <laughs> um, that's right. I knew that you led choirs. I, I had forgotten that. That's really cool. Hmm. We'll have to get... Of, um, uh, dramatized cantatas and stuff. We'll have to get you uh, singing at some point or, or showing us some of your music for the podcast. What do you think about that? <laughs> Not today, man. I got a bad cold. <laughs> Not today. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, on today's episode, we we want to bring you to you, the audience. We want to bring you to the world that, that Elizabeth and I live in, in terms of we're both theological instructors we have had the benefit and gift of being able to read, study, and reflect on major theological works, dealing with the subject that really is the title of this podcast, dealing with mestizaje, mestizo. For those of you that are plopping in in the middle of this podcast series, or for those of you that have already forgotten to what we said, forgotten what we said in the first couple episodes, Mestizaje, the word mestizo used to be, historically, was a derogatory term. It was used to keep the children of native or indigenous women, children that the Spaniards had with them. It was a way of keeping them from any kind of royal court or privilege. It was to say, you're not purebred, you are mestizo, you are mixed. Uh, Mexicans, Puerto Ricans, all of us as Latinos are the children of that uh, mixing, the mixing of the Spaniards, mixing of African slaves and the indigenous who were here. And so we are a mestizo group. Thankfully, many, many years later, uh, philosophers like Jose Vasconcelos, who I believe is Mexican. Is that right, Elizabeth? That is correct. Uh, philosophers like Jose Vasconcelos, theologians like Virgilio Lizondo, historians like Justo Gonzalez have picked up on that word mestizo, mestizaje. And they've helped us see how mestizaje really comes as a great gift, as a great benefit for the church, uh, something that we can take on and think on and reflect on theologically to help present to the world a way forward in the many, uh, many divisions and conflicts that we have. And so I thought it'd be a good idea in this episode to take a step back, reflect, and help our audience see how some of these works have sh shaped us. Does that work, Elisa? It sure does. You know, I want to bring up that um, mestiza is not the only word that's been used <clears throat> to uh, portray that mix of peoples. Mulato has also been used. That was more for those who were uh, the, the mix of white and uh, the Africans who had been enslaved in our countries. Yeah. Um, Loida Martelotero in her um, theology speaks about us being satos, yeah? uh, these mutts. Yeah. yeah. Pedro Sato is a mutt. Uh, so there are other uh, ways of um, referring to this whole concept. 
That's true. In uh, Louisiana, there's the Creole people, right? Being Criollo. That's another term that is similar in that regard. Uh, in South Africa, you have the coloreds, right? And so that all over the world, you have terms referring to this great mestizaje, this great mixing that happened, frankly, in, in many places, historically speaking, happened as the product of some kind of colonials, colo- colonization. I'm struggling here with the word. Uh, happened to some product of colonization and the great expansion of these great empires. And so it's quite interesting. Yeah, it's about the encounters of people and are not knowing what to do with someone who is not uh, pure this or pure that. And so uh, we have to find some other word to describe who the identity of this person, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So Again, there's a few guys. I'm going to highlight Virgilio Elizondo. He's got a great short little book that's titled The Future is Mestizo. It's also the title of this episode. Uh, the subtitle of the book is Life Where Cultures Meet. And he's uh, speaking from his context. He was a Roman Catholic priest in San Antonio. And he did a lot of work in ministry there. He ultimately ended up being a bishop of the Roman Catholic Church for that region. And he talked about how San Antonio was a city like no other. It was a city where the whites who were there, the Texans who were there, were becoming very much that Texan more than they were anything else, just like the Mexicans who were there were also becoming Texan and more than anything else. And that was leading to a kind of mixing of cultures that was unusual, unique. And so he's speaking from that context. I wanted to read a quote from the book to help navigate or get us started on a discussion of what uh, what theological contributions Mestizaje brings, uh, how it helps us as a church, again, think about the future. And so I'll read this quote, and then Elizabeth, you and I can maybe dialogue and help ask the questions that some of our audience might be thinking of. You know, why is Mestizaje so important to these guys? Okay. So the quote says this uh, Elizondo writes, Yet in time, the children of this first generation who grew up totally in the new culture sometimes reclaim the culture of their parents in a deeper and even more radical way. In many ways, though, they are already belong to they already belong to the new culture. It is here that the cultural mestizaje begins to emerge in that mixing of this new generation who was born in the States. This podcast started because of that very thing. Elizabeth, you and I are that generation who are second generation who were born in this new culture and reflect the kind of cultural mestizaje. You know, what kind of the- theological contribution do we bring to the table? Why is this such an important theological idea that we be a mixed people? Well, <clears throat> theologically, what takes place is that we contextualize. Um, it's, a, it's a contextualization of who we are and of the reality that we live within this mix, right? This mix is ni de aquí, ni de allá, ni chicha, ni limonada. Um, It's a liminal space. Um, It's an interstitial space, which means that in the human body, it's uh, the space in between the cells. And the space in between the cells is where you have this tissue um, that connects one cell Yeah, you've talked about this before. Yeah, what what remind the audience what what do we mean by interstitial? What are we talking about there? Well, it's that in between space, right? The mm-hmm. in between space between the cells. It's a nothing space. Yeah, uh, but it's a space where we need to create something if we're going to connect one cell with another, 
And the importance of that connection is that without it, um, all of these systems can't do what they're supposed to do as a system, right? You have mm-hmm. organs doing stuff by themselves, but if one organ is not connected with another, then you don't have a system like a digestive system, a circulatory system, etc. Right. So that in- interstitial space where these connections take place is what makes everything function uh, the way that it needs to. Yeah. <clears throat> and in a sense, as a people who can go in between cultures, who can go in between interpretations, who can be uh, persons who um, who defy the the culture of purity, and who push us all to a new space and understanding of the fullness of our humanity. Yeah, tell me more about that purity concept. I think uh, I think I need to hear more about that. <clears throat> well, the purity concept uh, go go back to uh, Hitler, right? It's that that whole purity concept of what you're supposed to look like, who you're supposed to be coming from, what your roots are supposed to be, so that you are um, the dominant, so that you are the the brightest, so that you are the best uh, representation of humanity. And that anything other than that is not a good representation of humanity. It's a lesser representation. And, and Spain did that, right, with the mestizaje. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so it's, it's so that you can maintain power among a particular group. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're creating this myth based on however it is that you decide to define what purity is. Yeah. Bad science, at least here in the States, it was bad science, right? It was. That's right. And culturally, you know, it it doesn't work either because we all are mixed in some way or another. Mm -hmm. And in the United States, where you have this black white binary, those of us who are in between, it doesn't work. I'll give you a quick and a little bit of a comical story. There was a seminary that was doing a sensitivity um, exercise, a full day of exercises around issues of race. And at one point they said, okay, everybody who's white, come on this side. And everybody who's black, come on this side. And the Latinos who were there, they said, well, you know, we're both, but we're neither. Where should we go? And they said, well, just go where you feel most comfortable. In other words, they didn't really hear what we were trying to say. (laughs) So they said, go where you feel most comfortable. So one guy goes, vente, vamonos pa casa. And we're going to listen to some music. Vente, vamonos pa casa. That's fantastic. Because everybody was comfortable at his house, you know. That's so hilarious. that's where they went. They went down to his house and they, you know, they they jammed and they they ate and stuff like that. They cooked and they had a good time. And then they came back and they say, well, you know, what what did you what did you do? What's your reflection? And they say, we're, our reflection is that we're fine just the way we are. And you all Preach. can fight about being black or white if you want to. Preach. That reminds me, Virgilio Elizondo, his, his whole argument in this book is that Latinos, at least here in the U.S., have an opportunity uh, to to teach and to confront these binaries and to help people see that, one, the system is irrational. Uh, two, there is another way of conceiving of all of ourselves, right, that we can conceive of ourselves together as a mestizo group. And that, three, that the church in particular, it can be the the guiding leader, the voice of the, for the mestizo to present the kind of union that happens in Christ. But I did have a bit of a critique of his book. If I, I, 
I say this with a with a bit of nervousness, right? Virgilio Elizondo is a significant figure, and, and I don't pretend to be uh, on the sa- at the same level as him. But I, but I did read the book, and I I thought maybe we can dialogue a little bit about this critique I have. Uh, you said this as well. For him, mestizo people are always kind of the suffering, the outsider, the fringe people, and he he makes his argument based on that sort of fringe aspect of Jesus identity and story. And I think there's something to that. I'm, I'm not dismissing that or denying that. But when I first uh, was introduced to this idea of God's people being mestizo or of Hispanics being mixed in mestizo, what really came to mind for me was Exodus, the book of Exodus, chapter 12, verse 38. The people of Israel who left the land of Egypt, right? So you have this great... Columna de fuego, right? What's the igno? Columna de fuego y nube, this whole thing, right? And you have this great scene of God showing the strength of his arm, his redemptive power to bring out for himself a people out from Egypt. And sometimes we read a little too fast and we miss that Exodus 12, 38 says, a mixed multitude left the land of Egypt. And we don't have to think that hard to understand what that might mean. Because obviously two of the tribes, not obviously, but two of the tribes of the people of Israel were of the the two sons of Joseph, who were at least half Egyptian, right? And so at the very least, the group that left Egypt and left as the people of God included a mix of people who were part oppressor and oppressed. It included both. And so I think our mestizaje isn't always about our fringe identity is our identity of mixed people who don't fit either category. We're, we're neither victim nor oppressor always. We're a mix of both and sometimes neither. We're, we break the categories together. What do you think of that? <clears throat> I think that that's exactly right. Um, we shouldn't romanticize what it means to be on the fringe. And because then... <clears throat> We could create this victim mentality on one side, and we could fight about who's more vic- more of a victim than another. That's right. Um, so we're not trying to romanticize anything here, right? I mean, you got to think about Moses, who um, grew up in the Egyptian court, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, there's a mix in a whole lot of different kinds of ways, not only biological. So we've been formed, and uh, we've grown up in this learning how to mix so that we can survive, right? We've learned how to mix, how to be a little bit of this, how to be this way here, how to be that way over there. Um, And so we've learned to do that mix. It's interesting if we go then to the sense of the festival in Deuteronomy, and Deuteronomy is the book that uh, Jesus quotes the most. In Deuteronomy, when they have a festival, what they what they look for is the equity. So if you were my servant, you're not serving at the feast. Interesting. I got to serve you at the feast. Because what the feast means is that being a people does precisely that. It collapses all of the different categories between us that keep us from understanding that we are the same. And in the mestizaje, I think that what Virgilio is trying to say is that in the, not in the collapsing, but in the mixing of all of these different categories, uh, we emerge as a new humanity. 
right? Yeah. So yeah. that we can't point at each other. Nobody can point at anything or anybody because it's all inside of us. So which part of yourself are you not loving? Preach. He has this quote that I think hints at what you're saying. He says, Mestizos may struggle to become one or the other of the great traditions out of which they are born. But even if they were to succeed, that would be a mere return to the previous divisions of society. We usher in new life for the betterment of everyone when we freely and consciously assume the great traditions flowing through our veins and transcend them, not by denying either, but by synthesizing them into something new. I think that gets to what you're saying. That's right. So that synthesis, that's something new, right? Is what Virgilio is trying to get to. <clears throat> that um, if you look at the, you know, Jesse Miranda, uh, also spoke about this mix, but in a different way. Jesse Miranda went to the figure of the Samaritan woman. The Samaritans were people who have been mixed. Remember that you have the exile, right? Sure. And in the exile, the Babylonians had divided people into a lot of different parts of the kingdoms. And so sure. the Samaritans are there. And the Samaritans don't believe like everybody else, right? It's not just the, the fact that they come from, from a biological mix but they also come from a theological mix um, <clears throat> because they have been with so many other peoples and so on and so forth, what we might call, you know, syncretism or something like that. So it's like, you know, you all don't, don't believe quite the right thing here. You know, you got this whole mix of belief. Uh, so it, it even, it even goes to that uh, whole theological purity as well. Right. That's right. And so the Samaritan woman is the example of the very first woman who gets who Jesus is. She's the very first one who can like look at him and figure out, okay, I know who you are, dude. You know, that's right. She's able to discern spiritually. Okay. Well, the only way that you could get to that, you know, point of sharpness of discernment and so forth is if you've had to be somebody who has to live in a lot of different kinds of worlds. Preach. That's a good word. So I have a question for you because I've been accused of this. So I'll ask you because so I, I teach a class here at Moody, uh, Cultural Dynamics of Congregational Ministry. And in teaching that class, I always introduce students to Virgilio Elizondo's argument for why mestizaje is so important and how it presents a way forward as it relates to race and how it connects theologically to what the scriptures teach. But here's the thing. I've had students, minority students, worry that if they accept a theology of mestizaje that they then have to either abandon their cultural identity, right? So I had, for instance, a Dominican student say to me, well, I still want to be Dominican. I don't want to be anything other than Dominican. I want to be that. So I've had that critique. And the other critique, the flip side of the coin, is I've had white students say, yes, this is exactly what we've been saying for so long that you guys are overemphasizing your different identities when we are all one people, right? And so they use it as a way of justifying the, this is what we've been saying all along. What do you say to those two, those two sides of the same coin? <clears throat> uh, people are coming from different, different places. So let's take a look at what are the needs that people have here. And I'm sorry for this terrible cough that I have. But on the one side, you have someone who uh, just left their land 
Mm -hmm. uh, who's trying to figure out who they are here and they don't want to let go of the uniqueness of who they are That's and right. in pentecost it's about holding on to it's about celebrating that uniqueness for everyone okay sure and on the other hand you have someone who's trying to erase that uniqueness and to say hey you know this is about being colorblind we're all the same it doesn't matter etc cetera, etc cetera. great then um, pay me the same thing you're getting paid. <laughs> I did not expect that sentence to end that way. <laughs> I do it the same way that you do. As a matter of fact, I do it better than you do because I can do it bilingually. I can go in between cultures. I can interpret one culture to the other. Pay me the same thing that, that they're paying you. Well. <laughs> so, you know, this whole let's erase it is about main, let's another a different way for them to maintain power, right? Sure. So it's not just a theological thing. We have to understand where power resides in these pieces, right? Where it is cultural and where it's more than just that. When a person with power all of a sudden says, oh, you know what? I, you know, we, I'm not white. I ain't white. You ain't black. You know, let's just be God's people. Well, fine. You know, let's come to the table in the same way. Let me share what you got too. Then we can talk. When someone who is already in a liminal space in society they're trying to hang on to what little they do have right and yeah it's a whole it's a, so it's a whole other place of where it comes from so how how is mestizaje not either of those two things mestizaje actually instead of saying it's not either of those things you have to understand what mestizaje is trying to address is both of those things mestizaje is trying to say that the gift of the cultures is for us to learn to appreciate them and to value those pieces. So let us lift that up, let us value that, and let us not become entrenched in one or the other, because in the end, um, we are who we are because of the gifts that we've given to each other and because of the suffering that we've brought to one another, okay? So there's, there's rape here, there's violence here, et cetera, right? As to why it is that the Mestizo people become, it's, it's, there's rape in, in some of this. And so, you yeah. know, that's, that's a hard piece to own. Which part of myself do I hate? Which part of myself am I supposed to love? But here we are. We are who we are. And so how do we move forward is what Virgilio is looking at. You know, this is, this is the Mestizaje and this is the future. The future yeah. is for us to embrace, to own these pieces, to understand what brought us here and to make a decision not to live into it with the same violence as before. That's right. I think the suffering piece, the, the way you phrased it, the suffering we've brought on to others and to ourselves, I think that that's really key. Justo Gonzalez, so transitioning to a different scholar, but he highlights that the, the key difference between our claim that mestizaje is a way forward and that we can be together a mixed group and the claim of someone take a one of my white students who says see this is proof that you guys are focusing too much on difference and we just need to be the same the key difference between those two things justo says is that mestizaje comes with an inherent an inherent history of non-innocence that's justo's phrase that he says those who accept their mestizaje have to accept that their historical heritage includes a kind of guilt. And most, most whites don't have that as part of their identity. 
they they because of individualism here in America and some other things, right? They would say, "Hey, wait a minute! I, th- what happened in the past didn't have anything to do with me." Whereas a me, me, they want to cast it away. That's right. And Justo says, "Someone who is actually mestizo doesn't do that." It reminds me, we had a poster growing up when I was a, a kid. My mom had a poster in the house. I don't even really know where she got it, but. Uh, I found it in other Puerto Rican households, so apparently it was pretty normal. But it was a poster. It had a picture of the island, beautiful, lush, kind of garden-looking island. And then above it, it had three figures, right? You already know where this is going, right? You have the the Spaniard conquistador-looking guy, right? You have him. You have the indigenous woman next to him. Who do you have on the other side? The African slave, right? The African slave. And I'll never forget, my mom would tell us, right? Like, this is your heritage. You are all three of these things. You have in your blood the Spaniard, who in this case is guilty of severe crimes, right? You have the native, who is not necessarily innocent in her own right, right? Uh, many of, in the history of Puerto Rico, there's many stories of the native uh, women giving away, betraying their men so as to stay rescued or saved. Justo brings that up in his book, Manana, right? Uh, so you've got that person as well. And then you have the African who also forms part of your heritage. And so people who are mestizo have an inherent history of non-innocence that I find to be an important key to this. But, you know, if you know the history of Puerto Rico in the 1800s, you had more than that because then the king of Spain, uh, you know, Puerto Rico was uh, not much of a plantation. The Africans were brought to Puerto Rico to be enslaved to, to uh, build the morros yep. and the forts that you had in Puerto Rico more than to uh, work land. And to help search for gold, right? Only a little bit because then they found gold in Latin America and other places. And so, you know, they abandoned the issue of gold in Puerto Rico. Sure. But the island was mainly populated by soldiers and by um, persons who uh, were African. The indigenous people had uh, become ill, had uh, committed suicide, and had escaped to the center of the island where um, the Spaniards didn't know how to navigate to get there. They could take boats to different parts of the coast, but they didn't know how to navigate inland. And so that they went inland to to hide there. But in the 1800s then, as Spain has to compete with uh, the English, with with the Dutch and others who were taking up other islands in the area and so forth. Spain wants to populate the island with Europeans. And so Spain says anyone who will um, jurar eh, por la bandera eh, española, right? They're going to be um, faithful to the Spanish crown. You can come to Puerto Rico and have land. And so you have the Swiss <clears throat> and they went up to, you know, where the mountains were, et cetera, because that's what, you know, they were most used to. You have people who came from Holland, you have the English, you have the French, you know, so many peoples who came to the island of Puerto Rico and you have so many different kinds of last names, right? Bourdon, Phillips, okay? These are last names that we have. We have uh, blue eyes in my family, but not because of the Spaniards, but because we had an Englishman who uh, married a woman who uh, was the daughter of two Africans who had been enslaved, but this daughter had been born free. 
Hmm. Just really, right? So it's, it's all that mix and all of this, you know, in, interesting piece. Uh, so you have last names from all over the place because that's where people came. You have people with red hair, you know, like where did they come from? <laughs> the Spaniards didn't have red hair. So you see in the 1800s, it was about populating the island with everybody that you could. And, and uh, mestizaje just continued. That's really interesting. I, I think often, I, I don't have any research to prove this, but uh, I have family members who look like they'd be from the Middle East on occasions. And I wonder sometimes, because Spain as a country was controlled for a little while there. for And by, by a little while, I mean a couple hundred years by Muslim conquest. And so I wonder if there was a kind of mixing that happened there that then traveled to the island of Puerto Rico. Most of the persons who came to Latin America from Spain came from the Southern Peninsula. So that peninsula was where you had already a mix. You had the Catholics, you had the Muslims, you had the Jews. Mm. Those persons lived there. Morocco, the Moroccans were right there, very close, okay? Very close. when Fernando and Isabel decided to take the different parts of Spain and to unite them, they did it by force and they used language and religion. So the Castilian Spanish, which not everyone spoke and not everyone speaks, okay? So you had the, the Gallegos, you had the people in Barcelona who, who uh, spoke Catalan, etc. They forced upon people the Castilian Spanish and Catholicism. So we know that a lot of people came to Latin America who were conversos and moriscos. And you can see it in the architecture and so forth. And you can see it in a lot of, you know, how we look, our features. My sister's a person who is always stopped on the street by Jews and they ask her if she's Sephardic. And in case you didn't know, by the way, there are particular last names that they've followed back to, and they have said, if you have these last names, you probably are Jewish. And for those who do, have done the DNA and found out that indeed they have Jewish blood, they are able to live in Israel. I have a friend who uh, retired in Israel because mm. they gave him land in Israel to retire because he was able to prove that he has Jewish heritage. He's a Puerto Rican. That's fascinating. I uh I don't know how I feel about the ancestry science, but what this does prove is that mestizaje goes fur- further back than what happened in Latin America at any point. That it goes all the way back to what was happening in Europe and Spain, that, that there was a kind of mestizaje that was happening there. And to bring it back to this theological piece, I think th- the Israelites' experience in exile further intensifies God's work in creating a mestizaje of God's people, right? So they were already mestizo when they left Egypt. But when they go into exile, right? Jeremiah 29, what's he tell them? Give your, uh, give your daughters to husbands. Bring daughters or bring women as wives to your, you know, marry essentially. Marry, plant gardens, everything else. It's interesting that that chapter includes with the promise that God will draw Israelites from all the other places where he has sent them into exile. There is a kind of mestizaje that happened to the people of Israel from their multicultural experience 
across all sorts of different lands and under the conquest of all sorts of different peoples. And so the exile only intensified their mestizaje. When they returned to Israel again, when Nehemiah returned to build the wall and later they rebuilt the temple, that Israelite was not the same as the Israelite that was there before. They were now a kind of cultural mestizo. And it's really interesting to me that God's people, from the very first time that he saved them, when he brought them out of Egypt, through their exile and into the experience that when we open up the New Testament Gospels and arrive to an Israel that's under Roman rule, we arrive to a Jewish people that is a mixed people, culturally and otherwise. And so it's really interesting to me that scriptures highlight for us that God's people have always been a mixed multitude. Now, let me mess that up a little bit for you too. Go for it. So while that's the case, we see in Ezra how there's a very sad chapter where they tell everybody that those who had wives who were foreign wives had to let them go and their children. And it says that it rained all day and they brought their wives. Now, it says that not everybody paid attention to that command. And it is believed that those who didn't used a different narrative to um, understand theologically why they were making their decision. And the narrative was the story of Ruth, which later on, right, where blessing comes because of the foreign wife. Yeah, Moabitess. Later on, when you look at who Jesus is and you look at his genealogy, Ruth is there. Right. Right. So, you know, that mix of who Jesus is, there's a Moabitess. And, you know, the Moabites were like, they weren't just like the foreign people. They were like the real, we don't want these people among us people. That's right. And that's who that's who she is. And she's a part of the legacy of, of Christ. Yeah, I think that's that goes back to my critique of Virgilio Elizondo. Even though I think mestizaje is important, I think mestizaje isn't always and only about being on the fridge. Jesus is mestizo, not because he was on the fringe, because he was born in Galilee and spent time in Egypt. He's mestizo also because he has a mestizo heritage, right? Ruth is a part of his heritage. That's an important detail of the story. It's not something that uh, is, a, is a small inclusion, but a significant one, right? And so mes- he's a mutt, sato, crio, criollo, whatever word you want to use, right? <laughs> so... Let me ask this question. We have talked in the last few episodes, we've talked about justice. We've talked about the integration of multiple generations. And we talked about, to some degree, education in several of those episodes. Let me ask to, to, to put a bow on this and to help us make sense of what we're talking about now. What kind of world, here in the Mestizo podcast, what kind of world are we proposing? What kind of vision are we casting? I think that what we're looking for especially if we're looking for what justice is going to mean. Um, And justice has to do with, you know, the, 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 the poverty pieces and so forth. Um, Take a look at who's poor in the world today. Take a look at who has means in the world today. Take a look at the values uh, that either perpetuate that or don't. Take a look at, how poverty moves persons around the world. There are billions of people moving around the world because of the poverty and so forth. And take a look at, in that movement of peoples, how you have this mestizaje 
that continues to take place. And I think that the message of this whole Mestizaje piece is, as we mix and so on and so forth, people, can you get it? It's an incarnated piece, right? It goes back to, you know, this is the Advent season. It goes back to Jesus becoming human, taking on our humanity, taking on this frail uh, body, this form, uh, taking on what we've done to one another and what is even done to him, taking on of those, all of those pieces. Can we in our mestizaje, as a mestizo people, those who go back to understand this history that you were just speaking about, who own the non-innocence of what this has meant, can we finally get it? And can we move forward with a different set of values, with a different heart, where we can embrace one another and come to the table with one another and say, I want all of what is in me. I want all of these people who are now forming who I am. They are embodied. I want everybody to have what they need to have. Can we come to that place where we are a united nation and where what we want is for everybody to live in an environment that is safe, <clears throat> for men and women to be able to uh, have the ability to have a livelihood, for our children not to have to be separated at the border. Because if my children, you know, a child has object permanency at the age somewhere between six and eight months, and they realize when their parents are no longer in the room, so can, can, can my children be as valuable as yours? If we can embrace the fullness of that humanity, the fullness of what has made us who we are in our DNA, if we can embrace that in our hearts, and if we can then, from that place of embrace, learn to come to the table with the values that say we should all have the right to thrive and to life because Jesus is the one who comes to bring life more abundant because we are the disciples of Jesus and we are a people of life. Amen. If anyone ever had any doubt that Elizabeth was a preacher, that should quell any doubts of it. <laughs> if, uh, Elizabeth, what you, what you pointed out, for I think because you mentioned the incarnation of Jesus, it highlighted for me uh, the story of Juan Diego y la Virgen de Guadalupe. Us, Prot us Protestants get real nervous when that story comes up. And recently, I got to be honest, I've fallen into a little bit of love with that story because it highlights for us that God comes for the low, that he is for the lowly, and that in coming for the lowly, he can unite the, the lowly as well as those who are in power who humble themselves, right? Both groups. Uh, he unites them all as his humble people, God's people. And that we all, in essence, are Juan Diegos. We're the Juan Diegos of the world who God has come to, revealed himself to in a way that can be known, understood, and received. That in Jesus, we have seen God in the flesh and therefore we can be new humanity together. I think that's that's really what it comes down to. 
Hey, what if we end the episode on that note? It seems like a good place to end. Did you have a final thought that you wanted to reflect for us? I think that's good. Ladies and gents, be a part of the Mestizo Church. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Mestizo Podcast. 